I'd invite you to uh, open your Bibles this morning uh, to the book of Proverbs, this book of wisdom in the Old Testament, Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 8, a passage that may be familiar to uh, many of you. If you're using one of the Bibles that's uh, under your seat or under the seat in front of you, you can find Proverbs chapter 3 on page 534, Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 8. I'm doing today what I don't normally do. Normally, preach through whole books of the Bible, and usually in sequence uh, or large chunks, and we'll take a break and then maybe come back to it. Today, I'm doing something I don't do in preaching one sermon that has no connection to many of the other sermons around it. Uh, Next week, we'll begin a series in the Old Testament prophet of Jonah, and we'll spend four weeks together in Jonah, one week on each chapter. So if you want to get reading ahead, you can get started on that that, uh, this, this coming week. But today, we'll just spend a few few moments this morning in Proverbs chapter 3. It's no secret that we live in a frantic, fatigued, tired, and depressed society. That's a fun way to start a sermon. (laughs) To be sure, COVID-19, the pandemic, everything that came along with it increased many of those feelings. It's not like COVID started us down the path of being a society, a culture, a people that way. It was already the case, and COVID kind of just sped things up and pushed us to the conclusion of things a little bit quicker. Even since the advent of social media, all the way going back to the early 2000s, teen depression and suicidal ideation have been on a sharp incline. The very raucous and acidic election cycle of 2016, God forbid we ever go back to anything like that, was mentally and emotionally exhausting for many. And 2020, friends, was probably even worse. Today, a months-long war has been raging in the Ukraine. Inflation rates are at a half-century peak, and to top it all off, Queen Elizabeth, who is possibly the last living decent political figurehead, died. My guess is, in some way, some shape, some form, you're experiencing physical, emotional, mental, or spiritual fatigue today. You're worn out, you're tired, you're beat down, you're weary. And friend, you're not alone. I want, though, this morning, not merely for us to to wallow in our weakness, (laughs) to recognize, yeah, I'm tired, yeah, I'm beat, yeah, I'm exhausted, yes, I'm depleted, but rather to receive help and to find the rest and the healing that we need from God through His Word. I felt, I shared this with the church several months ago, that uh, God had given me at a difficult time earlier in the beginning of this year, Proverbs 3, 5 to 8, uh, as a passage for my life, maybe for the year. I hadn't intended on preaching on it, but I spent a couple weeks off. Uh, and, uh, and when you have time to yourself and time to think about things, you decide to do crazy stuff. So I decided we'd spend this morning in Proverbs 3, 5 to 8, where we have a beautiful promise of rest and healing that is offered by God. As we look at Proverbs 3, we will see this main idea just right before us in plain language, that there is rest and healing for those who trust God, who know God, and who worship God. There is rest and healing for weary souls, depleted people, for those who trust God, who know God, and who worship Him. My hope, my intention this morning is that we would not only see the wisdom of trusting God in all things, but that we would know afresh, or maybe know for the very first time in our whole lives, the rest and the healing that God gives to those who depend on Him. 
trusting that you found your way to Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 8, I'd ask you to stand with me as we honor God by reading His Word. And I'm going to invite you to read it aloud with me. Maybe you know this, these verses by heart and you'd like to just recite them from memory. That's fine too. Let's read these all together out loud. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. This is God's Word. You may be seated. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. I'm going to jump to the end of the sermon before I even preach the beginning. There is rest and healing, Proverbs 3 tells us, for those who trust God, who know God, and who worship God. Look at verse 5. See the command to trust the Lord. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. These Proverbs, this collection of wisdom, comes to us from David's son, the king, Solomon, who early in his ministry reign was, uh, was offered by God, invited by God, to ask of God anything that he would want. And Solomon asks for wisdom, wisdom to rule, wisdom to reign as a king, wisdom to, to be wise, wisdom to be wise, that's uh, repetitive, but that too and to deal justly with his people. And we see uh, a number of different scenarios in Solomon's own life where he demonstrates wisdom early on in his reign. Now, of course, Solomon's life kind of takes a, a bit of a hard detour later on as he begins making uh, uh, political alliance marriages with people of surrounding countries, and, and these wives from pagan kingdoms begin influencing his own thinking and his own worship, and Solomon's life goes way off track. But early on, he was doing very well. The first nine chapters or so of Proverbs are a collection of Solomon's wisdom uh, explicitly and explicitly addressed to his son. Uh, each of the chapters and various breaks within the chapters of the first few, uh, first few chapters of Proverbs begin with, my son, if you receive my words, chapter two, and treasure up my commandments with you, chapter three, my son, do not forget my teaching, uh, chapter four, addressed again, why did I go that way? Those pages are stuck together. Hear, O sons, a father's instruction, and so on. So Solomon speaking to those, to his physical son, perhaps, but also to those who would come after him. This is wisdom for those uh, who, who would seek to be wise in the Lord. And here in Proverbs 3, the wisdom of Solomon, uh, the wisdom of God, excuse me, through Solomon, calls those who read this word to, first of all, trust in the Lord. This verse begins with an imperative command. It's a strong, a direct command. Trust in Yahweh. That's the personal name of the Lord. We see it there written in uh, all caps, capital L-O-R-D. It's the personal name of God. Trust Him with all your heart. That word trust, I think we probably uh, don't quite understand all that is meant behind the Hebrew word for trust. We use uh, the word trust, and maybe kind of flippantly or not thinking about it. I'm just going to move this out of the way. But the word trust in Hebrew means something like this. To fall on your face before somebody else. As I was thinking about it, I, th I thought of a, uh, a knight uh, or a soldier who is kneeling before a monarch, a king or a queen to be knighted. 
And, and the image that we have, at least from like European pictures of, of knighthood, you have the man kneeling or bowing before the monarch, and the monarch standing with what in their hand? A sword. And with that sword, they usually tap the knight on either shoulder and maybe the head as well. That's a terrifying image, though. Because with one I'd sneeze, <laughs> inadvertent swing, that knight is in a lot of trouble. That knight is putting a lot of faith and trust his whole life in the hands of the one that is, that is knighting him. He's just standing there. Anything could happen. His head could be lopped off, maybe an ear, might get a shorter haircut than he was intending. This is the picture of trust. Trust the Lord with all your heart. Lie on your face in the presence of God. Put all your life in his hands. Do this, Solomon says, and do it with all your heart. Do it with every part of your being. The heart is the seat of a person's will and desire. The, the heart, not the physical organ, but you know what I mean. The heart of a person is, is, is what leads us to make decisions. It's where our affections are. It's where our, our desires sit. Solomon says, with all that you really are, with your inner person, trust the Lord. Lay it down before Him. Our favorite entertainers of the day say, trust your heart, follow your heart, do what your heart tells you to do. Biblical wisdom says, that's the stupidest thing you could ever say. Amen. Biblical wisdom says, lay your whole heart in the hands of God and at his mercy. Biblical wisdom does not say, follow your heart. Biblical wisdom says, give all of your heart over to the hands of God. This is a picture, uh, Proverbs 3, verse 5, trust the Lord with all your heart. It's a picture of total submission of total hope, of total faith, of total confidence, not in anyone in particular, but in God who is the Lord, Yahweh, the God of the heavens. And the verse says, as all good Hebrew poetry usually does, says the same thing in the second half of the verse as it says in the first half, only in a slightly negative way. Hebrew poetry does this. Uh, you can find it all through the Psalms and regularly throughout Proverbs, even in Job as well where the, the, the writer will say one thing in the first half of the verse, and then the second half of the verse say essentially the same thing, but a different way. He might say the same thing, but from a negative perspective, or he might say the same thing, but expand on it a little bit. And that's precisely what's happening here in verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and in a complimentary way, consummately, do not lean on your own understanding. Trust this, not this. This verse says the same thing negatively. Do not lean on your own understanding. Now, there's two commands in verse 5. Trust the Lord, do not lean. The first command, trust the Lord, is in the imperative voice. That's the strongest command you can, you can give in human language. You know, when you tell your kids, clean your room, and you mean it. <laughs> That's the imperative. But the second command that comes to us in verse 5 is not in the imperative voice, it's in the justive voice. Now, those of you who aren't uh, grammarians or whatever, we're all in the same group here uh, uh, and not experts in this, but a justive command is like an imperative, but it's softer. It's a slightly softer command. The justive command is, is a command that's aimed at the heart of the person, the will of the person. It's a volitional invitation, if you will. This is to say, Solomon's saying, strongly, trust the Lord with all your heart. And then an invitation, and let me plead with you. Don't give yourself to leaning on your own understanding. 
See the wisdom of trusting God and not yourself. In a way, it was leaning on one's own understanding that resulted in the fall of man from relationship with God. In Genesis chapter 3, the serpent says to the woman, did God actually say you should not eat from the tree? Can you really trust what God has said? Certainly you understand things at least as well as he does, maybe even better. And eventually both the woman and the man come to the understanding within themselves and contrary to God that the fruit would be to their benefit. Sure, God said not to eat it, but man, it looks good. Man, I understand that to be a tasty piece of fruit. It is as if they said, I know that God has said, but I've determined there's wisdom to be found apart from God. I've determined that there's better wisdom within me than that which comes from the command of the Lord. And the result of that disobedience to God in the garden was not wisdom, but foolishness. Not life, but death. Not joy, but much pain. And from that day, sin has been our heritage. Why? Because our first parents did not trust the Lord, but leaned on their own understanding. Uh, while I was on a vacation or out of the office, I took it upon myself to take care of a few tasks around the home. Uh, last year, I did the same thing. Uh, last year, we had uh, uh, our garage door that was making a lot of noise. If you've ever had an automatic garage door in your house that's making a lot of noise, you know there's a problem. And so I called uh, some garage people to come because I had deduced that a spring was broken. We have a weird spring system. I don't need to explain it. But they came out and fixed the spring. That was wonderful. And that last summer, I took it upon myself to also change out the rollers on the garage door track to nice nylon rollers. It would be nice and quiet as they went up and down the track. Um, long story short, I made a bigger mess than I, than I did fix a problem last year. Now, things worked for a while, but after a number of different cycles with the you know, door opener and a heavy door and all of that, the track had become a, a, a little bit uh, disaligned or misaligned, and, and it's the kind of track that's not easy for an individual to fix. So while I was on vacation, I called the garage door people out who fixed my uh, garage door last year to say, I've got a problem, and I made it myself, and I need someone else to fix it. And they fixed my garage door, praise the Lord. I won't say who they are, but if you need a referral for some garage door work, you come see me later on after the service, and I'll tell you who to call. Afterward, I went inside. I told Nikki about how it all went and, uh, and that everything was fixed just fine and the mess that I had made and how they had fixed it and how I never should have gotten myself into that mess in the first place. And Nikki said, honey, new rule. If you have to watch more than you, two YouTube videos to know how to do something or fix something in the house... You need to call someone else to do it. Don't lean on your own understanding because it just, it just results in return trips from the garage door people to fix the problem that you made. You should have just asked them the first time to fix it. Do not lean on your own understanding, Solomon says. If you've got to watch more than two YouTube videos to figure out anything in life, stop and call an expert. If you find yourself doing the, the spiritual equivalent with your life with Christ, with making decisions in your life, stop and ask an expert. And by the way, I may not be him. Trust the Lord with all your heart. Trust the Lord, Solomon says. But the question is, why? Why trust the Lord with all my heart? Why trust him? Why lay my whole life down, pros prostrate in front of him? and not trust, not lean on my own understanding, not, not think that I've got it figured out. 
The answer is simple. We trust the Lord with all our heart, and we do not lean on our own understanding because God is utterly trustworthy. That's why. God compels the pagan prophet Balaam, who sought only to curse God's people, to say in Numbers 23, 19, God is not a man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and he will not do it? Has he spoken and he will not fulfill it? Paul the Apostle proclaims the trustworthiness of God to keep him in his gracious hand in 2 Timothy 1.12. He says, this is why I suffer as I do, speaking about being in prison, but I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Paul says, my life is hard right now in prison for the gospel, but I know whose hands I'm in. I know who I have laid myself out before. The God who alone is utterly trustworthy. The absolute meaning of verse 5, trust the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding, calls each of us who read it to find wisdom in the Lord and not in ourselves. And to get that wisdom, one must trust the Lord. Do you want to be wise? Trust Him. Do you want to know how to respond to various uh, situations, circumstances in life? Fall down on your face before the Lord. His ways are better. His wisdom is greater, dear friend. His understanding is far clearer than man's. There is uh, simply no one better to trust. Solomon calls us, trust the Lord. Then he commands us to know the Lord. Verse 6, in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. That's a weird way of saying it. I'd like to just say he will make your paths straight. That's easier. Verse 6 of this uh, passage we're looking at this morning continues the same general thrust of verse 5, but it expands it from uh, the posture of the heart in trust to the Lord now to the action of our hands. This verse does not have have complementary commands like verse 5 does, but there's one command with a promised effect if we obey it. The command is this, in all your ways acknowledge Him. That word acknowledge is the same Hebrew word that we get the verb to know. And the idea of knowledge here is not just knowledge of facts, but it's knowledge of a person. It's relational, intimate knowledge. To know God, to acknowledge God in all that we do is to know His character, to know His attributes, to know His will, to know His commands, to know what He loves. And not just to know those things about Him, but to know those things in relationship with Him. In all your ways, know Yahweh. And the promise, He will make straight your paths. He will make your paths straight. Now listen, this is not a promise to make paths easy or effortless. A good many straight paths are rather quite difficult. This is not a promise to make your life easy if you know the Lord in all that you do, but it is a promise to make your path clear, to make it obvious, to make it discernible. Sometimes a straight path goes straight uphill over rocks and through narrow passages, but the path is clear all the same. It's easy not to be diverted from it. Here's this reality that when we know God, He makes it clear the decisions, the direction that our life ought to go. When you know someone closely, When you know someone intimately, like in a marriage or a family relationship or a close friend, it clarifies how you relate to them. 
and how you live in relation to them, the decisions that you make, how you treat that relationship, uh, what you do or don't do when you're with that person or apart from that person, knowing what a, another individual, a spouse, a family member, a close friend, knowing what they love, knowing what they approve of, knowing what is delightful to them, shapes and clarifies how you relate to them. It makes decisions that would affect that other person a whole lot easier to make when you know if they would, when you know when making that decision would please that person or whether it would crush their heart. This is the kind of uh, relationship that God is inviting us into. Know me, God says, and I will clarify your decisions for you. I won't make every one of them, not necessarily. I won't make them easy. I won't make your life effortless, but I will make it clear the direction that you ought to go. Consider how Paul put this command to know the Lord into action in his life and what it resulted with. In his letter to the Philippians, Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 11, Paul the Apostle writes this. He says, Whatever gain I had, I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. I count them all as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith so that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and so that I might share in his sufferings becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. For Paul, knowing Christ, made his life, the, the direction of his life, especially clear. But do you know where that straight path led? To the emperor's sword and to his death for the gospel. And Paul said, if that's where it goes, awesome. I'm all in. Why? Because I know Christ. He continues in Philippians 4, 11 through 13. He says, I have learned because of the knowledge that he has of Christ and what God has called him to do in his life. I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Why? Because he knows Christ and not just things about Jesus. But he knows the risen Lord Jesus. He knows him personally, he knows him relationally, he knows him intimately, and he knows precisely what God has called him to do with his life. And for him, everything else that would amount to his own benefit, he says, is garbage. Because Christ is so much better. Paul's life was not easy. His life was not comfortable. But his direction in life, his mission, his calling, was abundantly clear to make Christ known. And that clear calling led him to the edge of death many times and ultimately to his own death. Paul's path was not an easy one. The decision to walk it, though, was simple and clear. It was not hard for Paul to say, I will go to my death for Christ. Why? Because he knew Christ. And he knew the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. That to be so closely identified with Jesus so as to die for his own name would result in the same thing that happened to Jesus when he was put to death. Resurrection. Paul knew that because Christ was raised, so also will be all who trust in him. And Paul said, not a problem for me to lose my head for the King of kings, Lord of lords. Because the one who spoke it all into existence will attach those two and raise it from the dead to life unlike anything we've ever seen before. In all your ways, in everything you do, know 
the Lord, and he'll make your path straight. Friend, he won't make it easy, but he'll make it straight. The wonderful hope of this command, the wonderful hope of this promise is that God is knowable. He invites us to know him. The scripture is full of calls from God to his people to know him. In fact, scripture itself, as we define it, is God's revelation. It's God revealing himself to us. It is his gracious effort. Scripture, these words that are sitting in our laps this morning, is God's gracious effort to make himself known to us. The wonderful truth of Scripture is this, that God does not dwell in secrecy at the summit of some mist-shrouded mountain waiting to reward those who manage to make their way to Him. He is instead a God who is transcendently present, speaking to us, and even better, who lived among us in the person of His Son, Jesus the Christ, who is Himself, as Hebrews says, the exact imprint of the nature of God, who is Himself God, as John says in the beginning of his gospel. Know the Lord in all you do. Know his will, know his desire, know his heart, know what he loves. Walk in relationship with him and he will make your paths straight. Friend, have you come to know God in truth through his son, Jesus? He's invited you to know him. And the way that he has revealed himself to you is through his son, Jesus the Christ. Have you come to know him by trusting Jesus, by coming into relationship with Christ as Paul did? Now, I promised you earlier that there is rest and refreshment at the end of this passage, but there's one more command yet to go. Two commands so far. Trust the Lord, know the Lord. Third, verse 7, fear the Lord. Verse 7 has complementary commands like verse 5 did. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. The first command in verse 7 comes in that justive voice again, that, that command uh, voice that's uh, pointed at the heart of the individual It's a command that is meant to influence a person's will. Be not wise in your own eyes. I'm pleading with you, son, Solomon says. Don't be wise according to your own estimation. Don't hold yourself or your own wisdom, your own understanding to a particular high degree of esteem. This is certainly complementary to the calls already to trust the Lord and to know Him. It's a call to voluntarily recognize that we don't know everything. It's a reminder to us to admit our limits, to admit our frailty, to admit that we have flawed assumptions about what is wise. Friend, how do you esteem yourself this morning? When you look in the mirror, when you reflect on your life, what is your conclusion about yourself? Now, I'm not encouraging you to abuse your self-image, but I am encouraging you to see yourself rightly. Do you look at yourself? Do you esteem yourself as one who is particularly wise? If so, hear these other words of wisdom from Proverbs. Proverbs 12, 15, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. Proverbs 26, 12, do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There's more hope for a fool than for him. Proverbs 14, 12, there is a way that seems right to a man according to his own understanding, but its end is the way to death. Again, wisdom in one's own estimation looks like Adam and Eve in the garden. You know what it looks like to be wise in your own eyes? Look to our first parents. And then look to your own life and the innumerable number of times that you have decided, I know better than God. The second command of verse 7, the first command, be not wise in your own eyes. It's a plea. The second command is actually two commands, but they go hand in hand. And they're the antidote to pride in one's own life. Be not wise in your own eyes. Instead, what? Fear the Lord and turn from evil. 
Fear the Lord and turn from evil. Two commands that are really one. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and wisdom, we read in Proverbs 1, verse 7. To fear the Lord is not to be afraid or terrified of God in so much as it is to revere the Lord, to know that He is God and we are not, to worship Him, to hold Him in highest esteem. To fear the Lord is to, to magnify and exalt and give all glory and honor and praise to God alone. It looks like this. The posture of your life laid down before the Lord to fear the Lord and to trust the Lord are, are like, I don't know, best buddies on the playground. They go hand in hand. Turning from evil, fear the Lord, turn from evil. Turning from evil has at least two implications. On the one hand, it means avoiding sin, retreating from what is sinful or wicked. And on the other hand, turning from evil means also repenting of sin that's already been committed. Neither application of turning from evil, though, is for the sake of earning God's favor. We don't fear the Lord and turn from evil to make ourselves appealing to God or to gain His approval. Instead, we turn from evil because we have already come to fear the Lord, to trust Him, to, to know Him, to worship Him. The kinds of things that shape our life to love what God loves, to acknowledge Him with all of our ways, and to hate what God hates, relying on our own understanding. So Solomon gives us three commands to wisdom. Trust the Lord, know the Lord, fear the Lord, and he gives us a promise in verse 8. Verse 8 doesn't have any commands. It's all just promise to those who do these things. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Amen. We began this morning and began this morning by calling us to reflect on the, on the reality that we live in a tired, depressed, frustrated, irritated, agitated world exhausted, depleted, mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually. And here now a promise, an antidote to all of those things, healing for your flesh and refreshment to your bones. But it doesn't come apart from the commands of God to trust Him, to know Him, to fear Him. And the promise is healing. Be healed by the Lord. The final verse of our text today has no command, only a promise of what I think many of our souls are really all longing for. Solomon says, it will be. Trust the Lord, know the Lord, fear the Lord. It will be what he promises. What is the it that Solomon is talking about? What, what is it that will result in healing and refreshment? This is a frustrating to me as a student of Scripture because the actual grammar of the verse is really not all that very clear. The it of verse 8 is probably not just what comes before, fearing the Lord and turning from evil. Grammatically, it seems disconnected from everything else that comes before it, but in being disconnected from everything that comes before it, I think verse 8 is talking about everything that comes before it. Do you want healing? Do you want refreshment, body and soul? Do you want to be enlivened? Do these things. Trust the Lord, know the Lord, fear the Lord. This is the it that brings about healing and refreshment. And the promised effect, the promised consequence of trusting God, of knowing God, of fearing God and turning from evil is this. This is the promise, healing, refreshing, healing, refreshing. Sit with that a minute. Do you need, do, do those words speak anything to your heart this morning at all? Yeah. Healing, refreshing. 
the biblical picture of what it is to be human, excuse me, the, the healing and refreshing is not for parts of, what it, uh, parts of, the, hu- of the human person, but it's for the whole person. Solomon says that the result is healing to your flesh. The Hebrew word for flesh there is the word navel, which is kind of funny. Healing to your belly button. It's a weird turn of phrase that would have made sense to the first uh, readers in Hebrew, the, the, the Israelites who are reading it. It doesn't quite make sense to us, but we get the picture. Healing to your flesh and refreshment, which is literally cool drink to your bones. I don't think this is just a promise of restoration to the physical body. Friends, I think it's a way of speaking about the whole person, body and soul. A way of poetically saying whatever it is that needs healing, whatever it is that needs refreshing, God will give it when you trust Him, when you know Him, when you fear Him. The biblical picture of what it is to be human is not just physical or spiritual as, those, as though those parts of our life could be divided, but rather they're both intertwined. We are enfleshed souls. We are inspirited bodies. We exist body and soul together. That's how God created us. Here is a recognition in Proverbs that, li- that a life of not trusting God, that a life of not knowing God, a life of not fearing God and engaging in willful sin is ultimately harmful. Are you hurt? Are you exhausted? Are you depleted? It's probably because in some way, shape, or form, you have either personally neglected these commands to trust the Lord with all your heart, to acknowledge Him in all your ways, to not be wise in your own eyes, to fear the Lord and turn away from evil, or you're living in a world with a whole bunch of other people that are living that way, and you're kind of the target of their self-centered lives. Living in a world broken by sin and living as those who are personally broken by sin is physically and spiritually draining. We need healing and refreshment, and God promises it to everyone who trusts Him, who lays their life down in submission before Him, who knows Him in relationship, and who fears Him, who worships Him, who turns from evil. Earlier this week, uh, Monday evening, we're having a family devotion uh, in our house, and I decided I'm just going to read this text to the kids, a number of different translations, and uh, ask them what they think about it, what sticks out to them. We're reading through uh, this uh, verse 8. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. And Ellie, our middle daughter, was sitting on the couch, and she says, refreshing. (laughs) It's like a Sprite commercial landed in my living room. (laughs) Refreshing. She's wonderful. She's probably got the best sense of humor of uh, all of our kids. They're all funny. She's especially funny. So we laughed about it a little bit, but my my heart, my ears kind of tuned in on that. That word stuck out to her, refreshing. Kai says, he's three, he says, uh, it's like taking a water bottle and it's like squirting water all over your face on a hot day. It's like, yeah, buddy, that's exactly what it's like. That's the picture, refreshment to your bones. So here's my question. Do you long to be refreshed? Are you tired? Are you weary? Are you worn down? Are you dried out? Are you exhausted? Are you depleted? Consider the way to healing and refreshing that Proverbs promises. It comes when we trust the Lord and not ourselves. It comes when we know the Lord in all that we do, know His heart, know His ways, and it comes when we fear the Lord and turn from evil. When we live that way, it brings refreshing, healing to our lives. I invite you this morning, one word of application for us, simply to do what God's wisdom is calling you to do today. Yeah. 
Proverbs is a collection of wisdom from God to those who will hear it and receive it. Do what God's wisdom is calling you today. Trust the Lord with all you are. Which begins by recognizing He is God and you are not. Seek to know Him in all things. Friend, I don't know your story. Everyone that's here, you may be here this morning. You wouldn't call yourself a Christian. You wouldn't call yourself a believer yet. And if you're here this morning, you're not here by accident. Perhaps you're looking for the, just the kind of healing and refreshing that we are seeing in Scripture this morning. If you need personal, spiritual healing from the Lord, I invite you to know Him, which means seeking to know more about Him. And I commend you, if you don't know Christ yet today and you're here that I commend you for being here, that you might know him. And I invite you, continue coming, that you might know more of him. Yeah. And then worship him. Worship him. Give him praise. Give him the honor. Give him the glory that is due to him. Recognize that he is God and you are not. And then retreat and repent of sin. Retreat from sin and repent of sin. And in so doing, friend, find rejuvenation in heart and soul from the Lord. The way to the kind of healing that Solomon promises, that God through Solomon promises in Proverbs, the way to that kind of healing is through Jesus himself, who, who says in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus says, come live with me, know me, walk in life beside me and I will make your path straight. But apart from him, friends, it's all crookedness and broken trails and rocks and hurdles and paths to our doom. But with him, trusting him, knowing him, worshiping him, it's all clear paths, healing, and restoration. I began this year, 2022, uh, a little bit depleted. Not a little bit, a lot depleted. 2020, 2021, those two COVID years and trying to lead and pastor a church through that, friends, it's not easy. And a lot of you know that. A lot of you are leaders at work, your teachers, your healthcare workers, you have families at home you're trying to get. You know it was hard. I came into 2022 praying that God would, would restore in me a zeal and a passion for ministry that I had not had for a while because I was just worn out. And in the middle of all of that, at the beginning of this year, I sat on my couch one Tuesday night praying to God, what, what shall I do? Where shall we go? I don't got anything left. And the call that came to my heart from the Lord was this, trust the Lord, trust the Lord. So what did I do? I went to the Bible. It's like, I know that's in the Bible somewhere. I knew it was in Proverbs. It's Proverbs 3. Trust the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. He'll make straight your paths. Yeah, that's great. I know those verses, God. What else do you got for me? That's not what I need. I need something more. And He said, dummy, keep reading. <laughs> Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. And then the word of life from God to me at the beginning of this year, it will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Friend, is that your need before God today? I need healing. I need refreshing. God, something's got to change. Something's got to be different. I'm, I'm about out. Hear the invitation to biblical wisdom to trust the Lord first with all your heart. Don't keep doing life the way you think is the best way to do. Trust Him. Know Him in everything. Seek to know His heart in all things. He'll make your paths straight. 
Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord, turn from evil, trust Christ, repent of sin, seek salvation and healing in Him, and it'll be healing and refreshment to you. I want to close with this word of wisdom from 1 Corinthians chapter 1. You may be thinking, Stephen, none of this seems very wise at all. This all just seems like pray more, read my Bible more, and that'll fix things. And friends, trusting God and knowing God is more than reading your Bible and praying. But hear what Paul says about wisdom in 1 Corinthians 1. He says, where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach, through the foolishness of the gospel, Paul says, to save those who believe. Trusting God, repenting of sin, does not sound like the wisdom of the world for a fool in a healthy life, but it's the wisdom of God. For Jews demand signs, Paul says, Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews, foolishness to the Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Your friend, do you need to be made strong? Do you need healing? Do you need refreshment? You'll only find it in Jesus. You'll only find it in the one true God who invites you to trust Him, to know Him, to fear Him, that you might be healed and refreshed. I want to pray this morning, invite you to pray along with us. And, and as, or pray along with me. And as we pray, I want to invite you, just simply do, do or be prepared to do whatever God has called you in His wisdom to do this morning. You might be a believer. What does it look like to trust God, to fear Him, to know Him more? You might not yet be a believer. The first step for you this morning might be to know more about who Jesus is or what He's like. After our worship is concluded, I'll be here at the front. I invite you, whatever it is that God has called you to do in response to Him, particularly if you don't know Christ yet, but you're wanting to figure that out, come talk to me this morning. In your Bible study small groups, share that with others and pray for one another. There may be need for healing or refreshment in your life. You need the prayers of others, uh, wisdom of others along that way. Share that, seek that together this morning. Let's pray and ask God to help us to be obedient to His wisdom. God, you alone are wise. You alone are good. You alone are gracious and just and compassionate to those who are hurting. This morning, Father, we lay ourselves before you, entrusting our, our lives to you. We may not know all the answers to all the hardships or difficulties that are before us, but we trust that you and your wisdom will make our paths straight as we seek to know you. Above all, help us to know Christ, the one who invites us to find rest in him. Give us what is needed. Help us by your Holy Spirit to yoke up with Jesus that he might direct our lives, that he might give us a healing and the refreshment that's promised. In our wisdom, we have proven ourselves to be fools, God. And so we come to you with repentant hearts and those seeking to be made whole by you, to ask that you would do in us what only you can. We pray this in the name of Jesus, for his sake only. Amen.